0: back there, you can go see her, she's in the back, she's waving, yellow shirt, hey, thank you guys, Mosaic kids, we're glad for all the other young worshipers that are staying with us, we're so glad that you're in here, moms and dads, don't fret over the noise, that's just how church is, it's just a little loud and a little noisy and a little messy, that's totally fine, and so don't worry about it, okay, I just want to relieve you from that anxiety, relieve you from that burden right now. If you want to open up your Bible to Romans chapter 1, that's where we're going to be at, uh, for, a few, uh, for a few moments today, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1. Uh, last week, in the midst of the winter storm, we explored one of the central claims of the gospel, which is this, Jesus Christ is Lord, and there is no other. Jesus Christ is Lord, and there is no other. And like we saw in verses 3 through 4 of Romans 1, this claim, with the audience of Romans in mind, it kind of hit two different ways. Okay? For the Jews in the church in Rome, it, it was primarily an impact that was theological. Meaning that when they heard the term Lord, they heard that God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ as the covenant Lord, meaning he is a worshiper or, or that we are to worship him as such. He is Lord over his people. He has rescued them. So that's a theological component to the Lordship of Jesus that the church in Rome would have heard. But the Gentiles among them would have heard the title Lord and immediately moved to a political place because Lord was a title ascribed to one and one only in Rome. And that was Caesar. And so when Paul is saying Jesus Christ our Lord and then repeating it at the very end of that section in verse 7, he is making a claim that is both theological and political. He is saying that Jesus Christ is covenant Lord, meaning he is the one who has secured all the promises of God and has come to rescue his people from sin, death, darkness, and Satan. And he is also making a political claim. Jesus Christ is cosmic Lord, meaning that his kingdom is a kingdom over the whole of the world. This was a radical claim to both gentiles and Jews. And both sides of the claim are true. Jesus Christ is covenant Lord of his people and cosmic Lord over the whole world. And these two dimensions of Jesus's lordship, they coincide with the two dimensions of the gospel that we've been that we've been kind of seeing that Paul wants to talk to us about. The gospel of God has a vertical and a horizontal dimension. Vertical dimension, God saves. God uh, has revealed in the good news of the gospel that he has secured the salvation of his people. This is the vertical dimension, that there is something that separates us from God. And yet through the gracious power of God, he has intervened in Jesus Christ to rescue us from sin, death, shame, and darkness. That's the vertical dimension of the gospel, the good news that God saves. But the good news is not merely that God saves, though that would be great news in and of itself. It's that God reigns, meaning that he's establishing his kingdom over the whole of the world. And that kingdom is better than the false kingdoms of this world. It's better. It it, it surpasses all of the very best that this world has to offer because seated on that throne is Jesus Christ Christ who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And today, we turn our attention to verses 8 through 17, and we're going to focus in on one specific word that will be pivotal for us understanding the rest of the book of Romans. And this is the word, faith. Faith. Because in verses 1 through 17, Paul uses the word faith a staggering seven times. So it's worth exploring faith today so that we have a strong foundation as we move forward in our study of the letter to the church in Rome. And this is important, not just because it's important to understand what Paul says, but because to know what the word faith means is a pretty important thing. Because it's a word that gets thrown out quite often, right? faith or being a person of faith or having faith or being somebody who has faith in something. We use the word a lot. It gets thrown around a lot, but I find that oftentimes we don't really know what we mean when we use the word faith. Like It's really hard to describe what faith is, and so Paul is going to give us a picture of what faith is, and I think it's an incredibly helpful picture to have, particularly as we go into Romans and for our life. As well, So this week we're going to focus on faith and next week we're going to come back to verses 16 through 17 and we're going to talk about the most debated phrase in all of the letter to the church in Rome. So come back next week for that. Let me read Romans 1, 16 through 17 and just like every week I'll say afterwards this is the word of the Lord. The reason we do that is that God hasn't spoken or God hasn't left his people in silence. He's spoken and we respond thanks be to God. So let me read Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's what Paul wants us to see about faith in this passage. If you're taking notes, write this down. Faith is a gift from God that involves our head, our heart, and our hands. Faith is a gift from God that involves our head, our heart, and our hands. So let's explore this. We get the first mention of faith in verse 5 of Romans 1, which we've read the last couple of weeks. Paul says that according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. This is the first mention of faith in this letter. And he's going to use the word a lot more in both this chapter and throughout the rest of the letter. But let's stop here. Faith is a gift from God. Paul says real clearly here that it was according to the spirit of God, or excuse me, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. This phrase, obedience of faith, is significant because it begins and ends Paul's letter. And what Paul is saying from the outset, what he says here implicitly, and what he says at the end of the letter explicitly, is that faith is a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. He says this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, when he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Faith is the gift of God, and we need this gift of faith, and we need it desperately. Why? Why do we need God to give us the gift of faith? Two reasons. Faith is how we receive salvation. Faith is how we receive the saving benefits of God. Faith is the, as the old theologian said, the instrument of our salvation. For by faith or through faith, we receive everything from Christ and contribute nothing to it. Faith is the instrument. It's the, You can think about it as the straw of our salvation, allowing us to receive all of the benefits that God has secured in Jesus. That's the first reason. We need faith as a gift from God because we are born broken, our hearts are out of alignment, and we need God to actually give us the capacity to trust in him. So we need faith because it's how we receive salvation. But there's another dimension of faith, and this one gets underplayed. Faith is not merely how we receive the saving benefits of God. Faith is how we participate in God's rule and reign. Faith is how we participate in God's rule and reign. And we're going to go into detail into into both of these things over the course of this sermon. Paul mentions faith here, and he actually uses this phrase, the obedience of faith. I, I prefer the NIV's translation over the ESV here. The NIV reads, the obedience that comes from faith. The obedience that comes from faith. And let me give you a spoiler here. Because it's a, I want to show you that this is an important theme. When you're looking at letters and epistles in the New Testament, what you can find is that oftentimes the themes of the letter will be in the greeting, and then they'll be repeated in the close or in the farewell. So we're looking at the greeting here where this obedience of faith phrase gets used. But if you go to Romans 16, all the way at the very, very end, I'm going to read verses 25 through 27 and then listen for that phrase. Amen. What do we hear in Paul's last words here? We hear him say what he said at the beginning, which is that God has gifted the apostles to go out into the world to preach the good news. Why? So that God might bring about by his power, not by our own, the obedience that comes from faith. Paul begins and ends his letter professing his hope that God... Through the preaching of the gospel of God, the good news that God saves and God reigns would bring about the obedience that comes from faith in the hearts of his people. You see, Paul wants us to see something very clearly, which is this. Faith is a necessary gift from God through which we receive the saving benefits of God and it produces a new kind of living. It produces a new kind of living that Paul is calling at the beginning and end of his letter The obedience that comes from faith. What does this mean for faith? What does it mean for how we understand what it means to place our faith in Jesus? Well, it means that faith is not just believing the right things about God. Faith isn't merely believing the right things. Faith isn't merely me giving you a quiz about who the Bible says God is and you checking the right boxes. Faith is dynamic, it's not static. It means that faith is given by God so that one's life may be given back to God in worship, in mission, in obedience. Faith is a gift that God gives so that we can give ourselves to God. Are you with me here? Faith is a gift that God gives so that we can give ourselves to God because by nature, we will give ourselves to everything else in all of the world but God. Maybe you have experienced this in your own life where it's a part of your story or it's where you feel like you're at right now. That you, you are, you've been willing to try to put your trust and your hope and your love and your agreement and your allegiance into everything else but God. and You have found yourself disappointed and disappointed and disappointed and let down. Why? Because anyone else but God will take our faith and prove themselves faithful. But God will take even the most feeble faith and prove himself faithful over and over and over again. You see, Paul goes on to tell the church here, right? Faith is a gift from God that God gives so that we can give ourselves back to him. Paul encourages the church in verses 8 through 15. I'm not going to read all of this, but let me just give you a few things to look for in these verses. In chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why? Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Skip down to verse 12. What's he saying? Well, I'll read verse 11 and we'll we'll keep going from there. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. See, Paul tells them, I want to come to you. Why do I want to come to you? Because I hear the good news of your faith in Jesus throughout the world. It's being proclaimed. Why do I want to come to you? Because I want to encourage you in your faith. And I want to be encouraged by your faith. And then we get to these two verses, verse 16 and 17. And I want to tell you that these are two of the most important verses in the letter. They kind of function as a thesis statement for the rest of the themes and the ideas and the rich truth that will be explored. So we're going to focus on verse 17 today, and then next week, we're going to spend our whole time on verses 16 and 17 together. See, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In these verses, two verses, Paul uses the word faith four times. Four times. It's what he wants you to hear. Faith. 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 It's easy to miss this, though, because in our translations, including mine, the the word for faith in verse 16 is usually translated as belief or believes. Maybe that's what it is for you. It's what it is in mine, But that's the same word. That's the same word for faith there. Faith and belief. And in short, in these verses, Paul is emphasizing the absolute necessity of faith. The absolute necessity of faith that there is only one way by which we can receive the salvation that God has secured in Jesus, and that's by faith. That's the only way, is for us to put our faith in Jesus. And there's only one way we can meaningfully participate in God's righteous rule and reign over the whole world. And you know how it is? By faith. That's it. Faith from first to last. You see, faith is the means by which we trust in Christ's righteousness and live a righteous life. Faith is the means by which we trust in Christ's righteousness and live a righteous life. God gives us this gift of faith in order that we might have the ability to hear him. We can't hear him. Our ears, as we're born into this world, are boxed. When we hear the truth of God, They do not sound sweet to us. They sound bitter. But God gives us the gift of faith so that what once was bitter will now be sweet. What once was something we would reject is now something that we would trust. Faith begins to give us the ears to hear God as he has spoken. Faith gives us the ability to love him for who he is and not who we want him to be. Faith gives us the ability to believe what he says, to know who he is, to obey what he commands, This is what faith does. It receives salvation from God and it begins to live with God in a way of faith and righteousness. Faith, the word that's used here, and I'm not going to go all Greek nerd on you here, but the word that's used and the way it's used here and then throughout the letter of Romans and throughout Paul's uh, letters and his witness, it really, you can see it has three dimensions to it, okay? It has three dimensions to it. It involves our head. It involves our heart. It involves our hands. I want to point these out to you because I think it's really important. And most of the time, one of these dimensions is the only way that we conceive about faith. So typically, one, we'll find one of these things, and we'll say, that's what faith is. And if we do that, we'll miss out on all that God has for us in Jesus, both in receiving the benefits of salvation and, and living under his rule and reign. Three dimensions. The first is our head. Our head. Point at my heart. Right? The nurses in the room are like, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle. (laughs) Faith involves our head. Faith is agreement. Faith is agreement. Faith means believing what is true about who God is, what he has said, who we are, his work in the world. This is faith as agreement. It involves our head, our mind. It is believing true things about God. This is an important dimension. To faith. Faith is believing true things about God. It involves our head. It involves our mind, our convictions, our belief. This is faith as agreement. This is absolutely crucial because we cannot love him if we do not know him. And we will be found making idols if we love a version of God that's actually not true to who he has said himself to be, right? Right? Sometimes that happens. It happens for me. I'm sure it's happened for you. When you'll begin to refashion God in your own image or in the image of something you'd prefer him to look like, that's not uncommon for the broken heart to do is to refashion God. But faith is agreement. Faith involves our head knowing who God is and saying, I believe that. I believe that. So it involves belief. The second is it involves our heart. This is faith as affections. Faith as affections. Faith involves our worship, our love. Our desire, right? This is where faith kind of leads to. God gives us a new set of desires. He gives us a heart that no longer worships the things of this world, but worships him. Paul's going to go into this in great detail in verses 18 through 32, that a huge impact of sin in this world is it took our desires that were meant for the creator God, and it began to send them towards creaturely things. That's what Paul is going to say in verses 18 through 32, that we were built to exist in faithful, loving fellowship with God, but because of how sin has broken us, it has now taken what was meant for God and it is always looking to distribute it to the world and things that are not God and people that are not God. This is oftentimes the story of our brokenness is trying to come to something or someone that is not God and demand that they be God. Or that it becomes God, right? I've got to make this thing fulfill my desires. This thing has to be the object of my worship, right? Because as people born, broken by sin, but looking for an object in which to place our hope, our trust, our faith, our love, we will send that to other places that are not God and they will never deliver. Faith involves our head, it's agreement, it's convictions, it's beliefs. It's, faith involves our heart, it's affections, it's, it's worship, it's love, it's desire, but it also involves our hands. Faith is agreement, faith is affections, faith as allegiance. As allegiance, loyalty, obedience, actions, practice. Faith involves not just a trust that says, When Jesus Christ says he's Lord, I believe him. I'll check yes to that on the quiz. It doesn't just stop stop there. It moves on. I love this Jesus. He is Lord. I believe that he's Lord. And because he's Lord, I believe that if I go anywhere else in all the world to find what I can only find in him, I'll be disappointed. And this agreement and affections, it leads to allegiance, to loyalty, to belief confidence to saying, I am a follower of Jesus. You see, God gives us the gift of faith so that we might give our full selves back to God. God doesn't give us the gift of faith so that we can say, I'm good with God, don't need him any longer. That's not why God gives us the gift of faith. Oftentimes, that's the message of the gospel that we have heard. Place your faith in Jesus and you'll never have to think about him again. You'll be settled up with God. And once you're settled up with God, do whatever you want. Live however you'd please. This is not the message of faith that Paul is talking about. Paul is not saying, check the right box on the quiz and you're good to go. He's not just saying, tell people uh, one time that you love Jesus and you're good to go. Paul is saying it is from faith to faith. Faith from first to last. And he says, the righteous will live by faith. Faith, what is the Christian life but a life that through faith receives the righteousness of Jesus and from this new position now looks to live righteously in the world, looks to live faithful lives, knowing the whole time that the foundation has been secured by Jesus. What we find here and throughout Romans is this core idea. Faith is a gift from God. That involves our head, our heart, and our hands. And we are given the gift of faith in order to receive God's salvation. That's that vertical dimension of the gospel. We need the gift of faith. Why? Because apart from God giving us the gift of faith, we don't even have the capacity to trust Him. We don't even have the capacity to believe Him. We don't have the capacity to worship Him, to love Him, to obey Him. Faith is the gift through which... God gives us all of the gracious benefits of Jesus Christ. In faith, we receive Christ's righteousness, but we don't just receive it and then forget about it. We receive it and then we live it. We live and practice the righteous life that we have been given. Now, let me, let me just kind of land it for us. Everyone who lives lives by faith. Everyone. Everyone who lives 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 by faith. The only question is who or what are they placing their faith in? Everyone who has ever lived lives by faith, meaning they have to trust something or someone. Why why is this? Well, it's because we're dependent. We're not autonomous. It's because we're needy. It's because we don't hold the world together. I mean, you don't need to look very much further than like the last week to realize there's a lot that we don't know about that we're constantly assuming will just work, right? Like, constantly. We're just constantly assuming that things will just show up at our house, that things will just work, that, like, things will just kind of, I don't know. Like, my daughter this week, I was telling her, well, you know, a lot of people don't have power. She goes, well, where does the power come from? And I said, you know, I don't know. Okay, there's like a place and they make power there. And then they send it to our houses. And she was like, okay, be like, how do they send it? Well, there are these lines. And the power kind of like goes across the lines and it gets to our house. And she was like, okay. And then, like, how do, like, why doesn't it not just blow up our house? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know the answers <laughs> to these questions. I said, well, you know, you plug things in the outlet. She goes, but if the power's behind the outlet and there's holes there, why doesn't it just blow out of the outlets? And I was thinking, I do not know how to answer your questions. My world and your world, whether we know it or not, is surrounded by things that we're constantly just trusting will work. We're constantly placing faith in things. Just assuming that things will work out. Everyone who has ever lived lives by faith. Everyone you've ever met is a person of faith, including you. Even the most ardent atheist is a person of faith. They just have rejected placing their faith in the one true God. Paul will go into this in greater detail in the verses ahead, but let me ask you, where do people often place their faith when they place their faith outside of Jesus? Where does it go? Talk with me. Where does it go? Just throw out broad ideas. Themselves, money, what else? Relationships, security, control, comfort, right? All sorts of places that we will take our faith, what is really only meant for God, the only one who will be faithful even when we're faithless, and we give it away. We give it away. We give our agreement with what is really true away. We give our affections, what we love and desire away. And we give our allegiance away. And once you have given your agreement and your affections and your allegiance, you've given your full self away. Wouldn't it be good to know that the one to whom you have given it will be faithful even when you fail? Because that's what separates the righteous God of the Bible from the unrighteous gods of the world. Is that when we fail the righteous God, He's gracious. When we fail the unrighteous gods, they are not. They are not. If you want to know where someone's faith is placed, just... Don't just look at what they say they believe, look at what they love. What do they give their attention to, their time to, their money to, their dreams to, their desire to? And look at what they defend. What are they willing to protect? What are they willing to follow? What are they willing to sacrifice for? Look at how they define themselves in the life of the world. Paul says, the righteous shall live by faith. What distinguishes true faith from false faith? True faith is a faith that is placed on someone who is always faithful. And this is what makes the Christian faith unique. God gives the gift of faith, and that faith is directed towards Christ alone. Faith in the God who is there and who has spoken in the world, in His Word, and in His Son, Jesus Christ. This faith, this faith that is given to God as He has given it to us, is a faith that involves our whole being. Not just what we would say yes to in our minds, not just what we would say we love with our hearts, but that in which we do. It's a faith that is reflected not merely in one dimension of our personhood, but through all of us, through everything that God has given us with in creation, our head, our heart, our hands. And so the question for us that we have to ask before we move further in this letter is where is our faith? What has our faith been placed in? What are you trusting? To whom have you given your full self to? What are the agreements that shape your life? What are the core affections of your heart? And where is your allegiance? Who are you loyal to? What are you loyal to? Paul is inviting us to see that through faith, We receive something that we do not deserve, which is God's gracious salvation in Jesus. And that through faith, we live a righteous life, knowing that having received the righteousness of Christ, even when we fail to live the righteous life that God is inviting us into, God will be gracious. God will hold us. God will keep us. And it is on this foundation that the fickle desires of our heart fluctuating on. Never sinking to a depth where God's love is not already. And never exceeding to a place where something other than God becomes the object of our worship. To place our faith in God is to take the fullness of who we are and entrust it to God alone forever. All others fail. All others abandon us, specifically when we're faithless and fickle. But God does not. And he's inviting you and I to place our faith in Jesus, receive the salvation that Christ has secured, and then to begin to live a righteous life in accordance with his principles, knowing that the reward will be great even when the cost is. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, that you give the gift of faith so that we might receive the saving benefits of God in Jesus. Thank you, God, for your graciousness. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for the gift of faith. And we pray that we would be a people who are marked by the full range of faith, that we would trust in you, and that that trust would not just be minds that are prepared to agree with the right, true things about who you are, but they would also be hearts a flame, on fire, with the right desires, worship, and affections, and that we would be a people who are loyal to you in our allegiances. We pray these things in the name of Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Would you stand with me as we receive the Lord's Supper together? This is a reminder. You can find the communion elements around you